I have uh, some unique experiences as a pastor when people find out that you're a pastor. Um, I remember one time being out playing golf with, uh, with some people. And one of the guys, you know, didn't really know, I didn't really know him, but he was part of the foursome. And we were, we were out there, we were playing golf. And uh, I think it was like after the front nine, uh, you know, we were having a good time. Guys out on the golf course, there's conversations that happen and a way of speaking that is quite common. And, uh, and then about halfway through, this individual finds out that I was a pastor. The tone for the back nine of that <laughs> golf game was so different. Like the, the, the language all of a sudden like really cleaned up. Like there was, there's this weird thing that happens when people are like, oh, you're, you're a pastor. You're like, you're a church guy. And I don't know what it is if, like, people feel like they have to be, like, more morally upright when they're in my proximity or something like that, or, or whether it is, like, someone whose, whose work involves, you know, studying the Bible and, and shepherding people to follow Jesus, that, it, that they, they feel like, okay, that reminds me of maybe how I feel like I should be doing, and, and I'm not doing those things anyway. We're going to be looking at the final judge in the book of Judges. We've got one more week after this, by the way, where we're looking at the life of Samson. And what's interesting in Samson's life is is Samson could have had it all. Like, he could have been the perfect judge. He could have been exactly what Israel needed, but instead he heads in, in the most opposite direction of that. Samson, we, we read about this story early on in his life, or before his life, I should even say, where an angel visits his mother and says, you're going to have a child. Even though you're old, even though you're beyond childbearing years, you're going to have this special child. And, and throughout the Bible, there's all these stories, right, of these like miraculous children that are born to women who shouldn't be able to have children. So this should like set flags off in our minds of, okay, something special is happening. And the angel says to, to Samson's mother, he says, this child is going to be a Nazarite. Now, for us, that, that word probably doesn't mean anything. But in the law of Israel, a Nazarite were those who made a special vow before God. A vow that they would be set apart. A vow that they would live differently. And, and part of them living differently was meant to show the people of Israel and remind them of their holy calling as God's people. That in them being set apart, it was like this walking billboard reminding Israel, this is who you are. This is who God has called you to be. And so part of this Nazarite vow was, was that Samson or anyone who took this oath, they were never to cut their hair while they were under the vow. So their hair would grow long. For, for whatever reason, I find pictures of Samson often have him with dreadlocks. And maybe that's just like, it's easier to take care of. I don't know. He's never supposed to cut his hair. He was never supposed to, uh, to touch wine, and he was never supposed to touch anything that's dead. You might say, okay, those things seem kind of random and obscure. But as you, as you dive into it, and even uh, Stephen Dempster this week, who came and, and did our judges study, kind of helped me uh, make sense of it a little bit, where um, part of the, the long hair was a way of, of setting yourself apart. Of, of looking different than those around you. If I'm taking this vow, and it's, 
it's going to make me look different than those around me. Part of not, not touching wine was a way to say, I'm abstaining from, from pleasure and from kind of the, the, the luxuries of life as part of this vow. And the not touching anything dead was a way to say, I'm going to remain ceremonially clean or ceremonially pure in a way that there were laws where if you touched dead things, you were no longer able to come into the temple courts until you went through a cleansing. So it was a way of saying, I'm going to live my, li my life pure, I'm going to live my life modestly and, and avoiding certain pleasures, and I'm going to live my life set apart so I look different than those around me. Samson was meant to be someone who was a walking billboard to Israel, reminding them of who God has called them to be as his holy people. And Israel needed it at the time. Because what's interesting about the time of Samson is if you've been following us through the book of Judges, there's been this continuous cycle, right? Of the people would be free in the land, then they'd start worshiping other gods, then God, in judgment to that, would send foreign nations to oppress them, then they'd cry out in repentance to God, then God would raise up a judge, and the judge would set them free and they'd be at peace again. And the cycle would continue over and over and over. The story of Samson, though, doesn't really fit the cycle. We read at the beginning of the story that the people sinned, and so God allowed the Philistines to come and to, to conquer them, but we see no sign in this story of Israel repenting and saying, it's terrible being under the foot of the Philistines. God save us. In fact, it's the opposite. In fact, the Israelites are saying, why mess up things with the Philistines? Like, let's just keep things the way they are. Let, let me point you to a passage in, um, in Judges 15. These, these couple verses, I think, epitomize the story of Samson. It says, Then 3,000 men from Judah, those are Israelites, went down to the cave of the rock of Etam where, uh, and said to Samson, Samson was hiding out there, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? And he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. And they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. So this gives us a glimpse into where Israel is at at this time. That no longer are they in the cycle of, we don't want to be under these, these pagan rulers. We don't, we don't want to be ruled over by, by people that we know are, are worshiping other gods who, who don't share the values of us. They're like, why mess things up with the Philistines, Samson? Like, why, why do you have to go killing everybody? We kind of have a, a pretty cozy arrangement here. And it shows how far Israel has fallen from the calling that God had on them. And so we see in this story of Samson, this man who's meant to be this billboard, a reminder of Israel's calling, becomes the opposite of that for them. What's interesting about the Samson story is we read through the three chapters, four chapters. He's given the most amount of time, but the least amount of, this is what he did as a judge that helped freed Israel. His story is so long because the author of Judges is focusing on his personal life. He's focusing on who this guy actually is. He's focusing on his character more than anything else. It's not about the cycle. It's about who is this guy as a judge of Israel. The character of the leader 
that we see in Samson is a reflection of the character of the Israelites at the time. Let, let, me, let me walk you through a little bit of the story and, and, uh, and you'll be able to see this. Early on in the Samson story is he goes and he sees a, a Philistine woman and he's like, she's pretty, mom and dad, I want to marry her. Now, wasn't supposed to marry people who worship foreign gods, so that was, you know, rule number one broken. But then as he's going to see this woman, he wrestles and kills a lion. Crazy. Samson's strong. We'll get to that. But then further on in the story, what he does is he goes back and in the carcass of the lion that he had torn apart, some bees had like set up their hive and they were making honey. And so he goes and he eats honey out of the carcass of, of this lion. Don't touch dead things, right? Rule number two, bro. Then he goes and at his wedding, like Samson must have been very like antisocial or something because he goes and at the wedding, it's like a week-long wedding feast and he says this riddle to people. He's like, let's make a wager. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a riddle and if, if I win, you guys give me 30 outfits of clothing and if you win, I'll give you 30 outfits of clothing. Okay. So they're having the feast. He has this riddle about, you know, he's referencing the, the lion that he killed and the honey that he ate from it. And no one can get this riddle. And so his fiance, the, the, the people at the wedding, they're like, why don't you like get him to tell you the answer and then you can tell us and then we're not out 30 outfits of clothing. And so that's what they do. They, they conspire with his future wife to, you know, find out the answer to the riddle. And eventually, once you know, he, she coaxes it out of him and, and tells it to the people at the wedding, and then they win the riddle with Samson. Samson's really upset. So he goes and he kills 30 people and takes their clothes and gives it to them. This man, who is meant to be a, a sign of the holiness of God among his people, rather is violent, promiscuous, touches dead stuff, the very opposite of a Nazareth. Now, he goes back after this. You know, no doubt it caused a bit of a rift in the family when you go and kill 30 people. He arrives back and he's like, listen, I'm supposed to marry this woman. Let me go and, and sleep with her. And the woman's father's like, no, after the whole killing 30 people thing, we gave her to someone else as a wife. And Samson's upset. And so he finds a bunch of foxes and he ties their tails together, and he lights the foxes on fire and sends them into the wheat fields and burns all the Philistines' wheat. It's like animal, like PETA would not be on board with the story. He burns down all of their wheat crop. And so the Philistines, they retaliate, and they not only come after him, but they burn down his fiancée and their family's house. And what we see is this spiral of selfishness and vengeance that just keeps heaping on top of each other. That one violent action is met with another violent action, which is met with another, and nobody wins. There's famine because of the wheat harvest burn. There's a, there's a family now who, who have been burnt to a crisp by the Philistines in their anger against Samson. So Samson goes and he hides in the cave, and that's where that passage that we read about comes from. 
where the people of, of Judah are like, why are you messing things up with the Philistines? And so they, they say, let's tie you up and take you back to the Philistines. But we know Samson's really strong, and God, by his spirit, has empowered Samson with a strength that is supernatural, where he was able to break out of the bonds. He takes the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand guys. More bloodshed and slaughter. Then, Samson, as he's walking along, he meets a prostitute in a Philistine village. He goes and he has an evening. And everyone hears that Samson's in this town. So the Philistines are like, all right, we're going to come and we're going to finally get Samson. And so they, they camp outside the town. They say, we're attacking at dawn. But Samson goes in the middle of the night. And what he does is he grabs their city gates and he tears them off the walls and he marches them up 25 miles to the top of the mountain nearby, showing his strength. Finally, there's the famous story of Delilah and the whole hair-cutting piece, where another Philistine woman that uh, Samson falls for, there's time after time where he's falling for these Philistine women, where she is conspiring with the Philistines of, of how can we stop Samson? How can we finally get ahead of this guy who keeps killing everybody? And so she is, is spending evenings with Samson and is trying to coax out of him, like, how, how can we overcome your strength? Like, what would it take to tie you down, big guy? And he says, oh, you know, if, if you tie me down with bowstrings, then, you know, you, you got me. And so while he's sleeping, she ties him down with bowstrings, and the Philistines come, and he breaks out of them. And then the next night, she said, oh, what, what would it take to tie you down? You think you'd catch on, right, at this point. They said, oh, if you tie me down with these big braided ropes, then, then that'll work. And he rips out of those when the Philistines come. And then eventually he tells her about the hair. Like, if you, I've never had my hair cut. And it's about this vow that I'm supposed to have with God or this person that I'm supposed to be. But if you get rid of that, then, then my strength will be gone. And I'm sure you probably know how the story goes. As he's sleeping, she cuts off his hair. The Philistines come, and they overtake him. They tie him up. They gouge out his eyes. They use him as a slave laborer in their grain mill. Ironically, the guy who burnt down all of their fields of grain and eventually use him as a public spectacle in their worship of Dagon, their foreign god, until Samson has this moment at the end of his life as his hair begins to grow and he prays to God, let me, let me end this and get vengeance on the Philistines. And he has strength enough where he pulls down pillars of the temple and kills everybody inside. The end of Samson's story has no and there was peace in the land for X number of years. The end of Samson's story doesn't have, and the people were faithful to Yahweh during the lifetime of Samson. Samson's story doesn't fit the mold of the judges that God raises up. We see a man who could have been a great deliverer of the people. A man who had a supernatural strength. Like a guy who could have mustered the armies of Israel together and, and, and brought them in to overthrow the Philistines and that they could have been free and could have brought them back to the worship of God. 
but he didn't. This man with this high calling and this incredible gift rather uses it to serve himself and his own desires and his own vendettas rather than what God had called him to. And I think with you and I, like, obviously we don't have this, like, Samson super strength, and we're obviously not, like, judges of Israel, but you and I have a calling from God, and you and I each have gifts that God has given us. And I think this story of Samson should be a stark reminder to us that the gifts and the calling God gives us is not meant for our own selfish gain, our own vendetta, but for the work that God has called us to. For, for the work of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. What's also important, I think, for us to, to get out of the story of Samson is we have a man who, he was a leader. He was, he was someone that the people could have rallied behind, but his character fell incredibly short. This man who, who was meant to be a Nazarite ends up being the opposite, and we're shown that the character of the leader matters more than his strength. The story focuses so much on Samson's life, and how he falls short as a leader, not because of his, his lack of leadership ability, not because of his lack of military skill, but because of his character. I think we sometimes justify the character of those who are in leadership doesn't matter as long as they're a good leader. Maybe we'll even say, I want a president, not a pastor. But I think the story of Samson reminds us that character is up there with any competency that we look for. We're going to emulate those that we seek to follow. And if their character is like that of Samson, we'll begin to take that on as well. My landing place for us this morning, though, as we reflect on Samson is to, to remind us of, of this strong contrast between Samson as a leader and of Jesus. There's some of these interesting similarities, right? Of, of Samson had this miraculous birth story where an angel came to his mother and said, the child you're going to have is special. And he's going to have, have this special calling on his life from the womb. In the same way where Mary, right, is visited by Gabriel and, and says to her, you are going to bear the Messiah when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Samson, who was, who was meant to liberate his people from the oppression of the Philistines, Jesus, the deliverer of his people from the tyranny of sin. But the way that that looks and gets played out is vastly different because of the character of the one who is going about it. Samson, who ends up being selfish and promiscuous and vengeful and didn't end up bringing deliverance. We see Jesus, the, the anti-Samson, who though he has this special birth and is set apart from a young age and has, maybe we could compare, supernatural abilities, is self-giving and not selfish, who lived holy, not promiscuous, who forgave and died for his enemies, 
not seeking revenge. He is the true deliverer. The question for us is, is are we more concerned in following those who show strength, but their character is not there? Or are we willing to follow the Savior who looks meek on the outside, but we know truly who he is? We can see his character. And in following his way, it's not going to have the same worldly kind of strength and pomp that we'll see from other strong leaders, quote-unquote, but it'll lead us into a greater outcome. Will we emulate Samson or Christ? I want to leave you you with uh, these words from Paul. Where he said in, in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Listen, we live in a world that is already jaded and skeptical about faith that is jaded and skeptical about Christianity. And I think because, I shouldn't just say the world, some of us in this room were jaded and skeptical about Christianity because we've seen so many, quote-unquote, strong leaders whose character has has led us to to just question and doubt and, and run from the whole thing. I'm reminded in Samson's story And in Paul's words here, that our call is to follow Jesus, to point people to Jesus as the one who truly displays what our faith is like, not the failings of us, whose character is still under development, who's still broken. Jesus is the one who's perfect. He's the one who's winsome. And he's the one who's going to make a difference in people's lives. Let's pray. Christ, you are king, and we trust you. We trust you in a way that we, we, we know what you're like. We know your character. We know that you are God in the flesh without failing in a way that no human has ever been. And God, as we all fall short, as we all fall short of our calling, as we all use the gifts you've given us to serve our own ends as we've all maybe like Samson pointed people away from Jesus rather than to him God would you help us to point people towards you and not to us may they see you as the one worth following not us not Samson 
not those who claim to be the strong leaders, but ultimately our hearts are, are far from you. Jesus, be the one who transforms lives. It's in your name we pray.